Time Magazine this past week stunned many people by presenting its prestigious Person of the Year award not to a famous politician or to a, a wealthy industrialist and business person or a technology genius or a luminous celebrity or a brilliant scientist as it so often has in the past, but rather to a an unusual group of people, a, a group of people who are widely regarded in our time as something of a despised class of people. I'm talking about lowly reporters. Uh, and uh, they, they singled out uh, actually four different uh, groups of people or uh, 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 representatives of that overall class of people. Uh, the first, as you may know, was Jamal uh, Khashoggi, the uh, journalist who uh, was renowned for having uh, pointed the finger at alleged Saudi uh, war crimes in Yemen uh, and who was, uh, we believe, subsequently murdered for uh, speaking out in the way that he did. Uh, they identified a, um, a young woman, a Filipino journalist by the name of Maria Ressa, who had um, called uh, to public attention the reality of extrajudicial killings by uh, representatives of her own government and brought about a movement of justice in her nation. Uh, they identified the Maryland newspaper that brought to light the unjust harassment of a young woman and uh, whose attacker ultimately, as you may recall, uh, went into the offices of that very newspaper and opened fire. And they also called out uh, two 20-something journalists uh, from Burma who uh, dared to speak out against the Myanmar military's uh, genocidal destruction of a minority group, a group of Muslims in their nation, and those two journalists are now languishing in prison uh, for having uh, dared to speak. Uh, these stories that we're hearing are significant, um, as Time points out. Whatever you think of the editorial bent of Time magazine or their uh, orientation towards our current president or towards uh, culture in general, I think all of us recognize the importance of free speech. Uh, whether it's by the president or by the press, we cherish the, the capacity to have in our society a, a voice that that, that speaks up out about important matters. And even if that voice um, is one that we disagree with or one that does not represent the viewpoint that we have on particular issues at a given time, all of us, I think, in our clearest moments, see the value of having the kind of society where there are enough different voices that we are challenged to think broadly and deeply about the important issues of our time. But the selection that Time Magazine made uh, this week for Persons of the Year uh, strikes me as significant for an additional reason, one that is very close to the heart of this season we are walking through together. Uh, because it reminds us of a choice made by a much higher authority than Time Magazine long ago. When he chose to shine his spotlights, so to speak, to shine his light upon a very unlikely group of people despised in, in that particular time. Uh, if you were to uh, go back to the first century AD and ask a group of people there what they thought 
about the individuals at the center of the story that we're going to be reading together, you would get a pretty uniform opinion. If you ask them, who was the, what group of people in your society are the least likely people for God to shine his glory upon or give a very important responsibility to, they would scratch their heads, think for a moment and say, well, maybe dung sweepers or, oh, I know, shepherds. Shepherds would be about the least likely people to be given that kind of, of priority and focus. In fact, when Jesus famously identifies himself in his teaching in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He has to use that word good and in fact go on and teach further in that passage because he is deeply aware that the popular orientation or viewpoint is that shepherds are actually bad people. They're bad people. Shepherds were typically hirelings. That is, they worked for a wealthy landowner. They did not have a financial interest directly in the sheep. They did not particularly care for the sheep. They were not necessarily sheep lovers. They were not likely to be people who very often would want to put themselves in harm's way in order to protect a few uh, natty sheep. They would not be like that, which is why, as Jesus describes his style of shepherding, his way of being the shepherd, he marks himself out as very distinct from this common perception. And because their job required them to spend lots and lots of months out in the field, they were not the most hygienic people that you might imagine. I worked uh, for a period of months on an offshore oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico, and I want to tell you, after I came off that rig, I needed shower, lots of showers, scrubbing. I could have done with a wire brush, I think. And I imagine the shepherds were a little like that. And because they were just hanging around with other men all the time, they, they developed fairly coarse, callous kinds of ways. And, and, and to the popular imagination, these shepherds were dirty people. They were, uh, they were rough-cut, nasty people. They were often thought of as dishonest people because they were perceived as, as being willing to graze other people's land. Uh, they, were, they were people who were known to sometimes take the lambs that were born to the sheep uh, that belonged actually to the landowner, and they would secretly sell those sheep off to pocket some extra uh, cash for themselves, and, and for this reason, local rabbinical authorities um, very often instructed their congregations to have nothing to do with them, to, to, to under no circumstances buy anything from a shepherd, because a shepherd was likely a purveyor of stolen goods. Uh, this was the, the view of shepherds. Shepherds were regarded as so dishonest and untrustworthy, they were not allowed to testify in court. They were not allowed to be on a jury uh, in, in any kind of significant case. So summing up the prevalent view, one rabbinical commentary of that time said, and I quote, there is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. You've got the dung sweepers here, you've got the shepherds down here. Now is this coming in for you? This picture coming in for you in 4K clarity now, that these are the kind of people that the scripture is talking about when we read this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I'm not saying that every person in that crowd of shepherds was 
actually somebody like the popular vantage point uh, b- believed they were, but, but this was the reputation of this group of people who were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And this, I think, is where the Christmas story gets really outrageous. Because it was to this particular lowly sort of person that the most high God of the universe chose to unveil what he was doing at Christmas. It it was to this kind of very low kind of person in in the popular uh, view that the most high God chose to bring his Christmas presents. And the Bible declares that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. And you understand their fear. You've gone through your whole life being thought of as so much lower than all of those better people out there. You've been a marginal person. You've been somebody that others hold their nose at as they go by you on the street. You understand why they'd be afraid to be in the presence of a pure, towering, holy angel of the Lord. They were scared. But the angel said to them, as the angel message is so often to human beings, do not be afraid. Do not let fear overwhelm your life, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, another shepherd I might add, God has had a pattern in history of reaching and using shepherds Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Uh, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. Now, it's a little anachronistic, but I could imagine uh, Mo or Dave or whatever the names of these shepherds were thinking to themselves in, in light of this message coming their way, what? What? Born to us? Born to us, a royal birth, the whole Meghan Markle thing? Are you kidding? No way, no way. No, not just a royal birth, uh, even bigger, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Christ child to us? You've, You've got to be mistaken, they would have thought to themselves. I think you must have meant this delivery for the, for the Pharisee family down the street or for the Herod household. I mean, we're the shepherds. We are the last people likely to get a special delivery from God. I mean, think about it. This must be a mistake. Hey, you probably want to go to the Levites down the street. This might have been something of the essence in modern parlance of what the shepherds felt in the middle of this announcement coming their way. But the messenger doesn't go away. The messenger doesn't give up. He just goes on. This will be a sign to you, the angel says. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In other words, there's been no mistake. This package, God's grace, Jesus the Savior, Christmas presents, is for you. It's coming to you. And then suddenly these people, who remember, are regarded as so dirty and so unworthy that they are actually not welcome in the synagogue. 
They don't go to worship services because they would not be accepted there. This group of people suddenly find themselves in the midst of the greatest outdoor worship service in all of history. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, the scripture says. And the air all around and above the shepherds is filled suddenly with the sonic boom of the most magnificent gospel choir ever to be assembled. And they're praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace on those upon whom his favor rests. And though it's not directly here in the text, I might be taking a little liberty here, but I can just wonder if there might begin to form in the minds of those particular shepherds this wild thought, this unlikely thought. What if, what if it's not just to the buttoned-up Pharisees that God comes? What if it's not just to the religiously regimented people like the Levites that God appears? What if it's not just to the beautiful and the powerful like Herod that God seems to show blessing? What if it is to someone like me that the favor of God comes and rests? What if we actually are the sort of people, as lowly as we are, upon whom God especially smiles? Why might that be true? Why do you suppose God might be especially present to the lowly? Why might God have made this radical decision what might he be trying to teach us by revealing his primary presence at the incarnation to this group of lowly shepherds? Well, I want to think about this idea with you for a minute. Author Monica Helwig hazards a few guesses about this. And I want to invite you to, to listen to this and to see what you think of these ideas. For one thing, she says, the lowly tend to accept dependence and interdependence more than the rest of us do. They, they know that alongside of their own actions in life, they need God to act. They need the help of other people uh, to make it in this world. So they do not worship their independence. They know they need God. They know <laughs> Their hope and help is in power beyond themselves. Secondly, the lowly have less of an exaggerated sense of their own importance. There's often a greater humility and a transparency between the lowly folks. And that intimacy is, a, is an experience of the kingdom of heaven. We have a painting in our house at home. It's a beautiful painting done many years ago by a friend of my wife, um, and, and, and what's fascinating about the painting, it's a picture of people sitting in a cafe. And you have these diners uh, there in the cafe. There's a man there, there's a woman there. And they're each in solitude by themselves. They're all just alone, sort of in contemplation. And the, and the only warmth really in the picture are the two waiters talking to each other. And I, and I love this painting because one looks like Nixon, the other one looks like Agnew. 
But there's a community between these servants that the, that, that the shoppers, the consumers don't experience. There's something of the kingdom of God going on between them. The lowly often root their security less in things than in relationships. I'm struck by this every time I travel to the developing world, that, that the people's sense of security, their sense of wealth really is in the quality of their relationships, not in the stuff they've accumulated. The lowly are better at distinguishing often between necessities and luxuries. They do not confuse mere wants with real needs. They are happier without a lot of the things that we feel have to be on our list, better be in our stocking, should be under the tree. Fifth, the, the fears of the lowly are often more realistic and less neurotic. They already know that they could actually go through really hard times ahead. They, they might have to endure all kinds of further suffering and they're probably going to be okay because they've already been through so much. And sixth, when the lowly hear the gospel, it really sounds like good news to them. They do not just sort of yawn politely or nod blithely as the preacher talks about the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world to save them. They are clear that they need a massive infusion of God's grace in their lives. And the news that he's coming and has come and is with them is especially good to them, especially good news to the lowly. Finally, the lowly tend to respond to God's call with greater abandonment. They're just not tangled in as many nets as we often are. They have less to let go of in following the call of the kingdom. So maybe you can see some of these characteristics in, in the character of the shepherds. Maybe this is part of why Jesus is revealed by God and by the angels first to these lowly folks. Because they are just more likely to want him, to get him, to understand the importance of him. Maybe this is why. Can you see any of these characteristics that I've just described in your life? Do you have them developing in any way in your life? Can you see how being brought low in life might actually be one of God's ways of lifting you higher in the ways of the kingdom of God? How, how, how losing and, and, and being brought low might actually be a grace of sorts, an ironic grace of sorts in your life. There are all kinds of ways to become more like a shepherd, I guess. I know people for whom serious illness or facing up to their addictions was a pathway to this kind of uh, new vision. I know that going through a divorce or the death of a loved one can, can very often take you closer, can bring you to that place of, of, of new openness and desire for God. 
uh, being out of work for a long time or failing spectacularly in an embarrassing, humiliating way can bring you low in a way that God can use to then subsequently lift you up, getting old in a culture that idolizes youth or letting go of a thriving career and all of the capacity that you have in order to, to stoop down and to take care of children for many years. This also is a way of getting there, chasing after the thrills of this world and discovering that even after you got them, they didn't fill you up like you thought. This too can take you out into the shepherd's field. It can make you available to, open to, desirous of God's presence. I know it sounds strange, but if I were to offer one prayer for us at Christmas time, even for myself, it is that this Christmas, each of us might in some way be brought low enough to see the height of God, to see the majesty and the glory of who he is and to know how much we need him. If you can't get there by yourself, then, then at least be sure to go to school on somebody who is there, who lives there, and, and see what you can learn from them. There aren't a whole lot of literal shepherds in Chicagoland. I guess we had them here at Spirit Village this past year for a brief time. But there are not a lot of literal shepherds out and about in the suburbs, in the city anymore. But there are an awful lot of people who know what it is to be low in the way that the shepherds did. You're going to run into these folks in the days ahead as you go about this Christmas season. Uh, you're, you're going to meet the, the, the folks that work at the car wash. You're, you're going to be talking to the, to the waiter or you're going to have an opportunity to interact with the bus boy. You're going to, going, to, going to see the folks who pick up the trash for us in days ahead. You'll run into somebody who, who needs to shovel snow for money or, or, or to take an extra job working in retail simply to put food on the table or a present under the tree for the people in their life. You might meet a toll collector as you go about, or, or a, a, a beleaguered flight attendant, or a baggage handler as you travel during this season. Maybe you'll cross paths with an immigrant family, or, or perhaps a forgotten veteran, or somebody in a nursing home. You might find yourself in the presence of a clerical worker, or, or a child care worker, or a traveling salesperson, the kind of people, maybe a, a struggling pastor, the kind of people who will never appear on the cover of Time Magazine, who are just never going to be regarded as so high and mighty and glorious and wonderful that they will ever show up in anybody's estimation as the person of the year, except maybe in God's estimation as someone to whom he comes, someone through whom he moves. Ask these people around us, some of us are those people. What does Christmas mean to you? What have you learned about your need of God? About what matters most? Because often the lowly, not always, but often the lowly, know more about God's presence than, than we do. 
And I- even if not, you can bring the gift of Christmas presents to some of these precious people that God sees. You can do this by the way that you respect them, by the way that you thank them, by the way that you do something generous for them. You can communicate the heart of God who effectively says, I see you, I value you, I want to use you. Once upon a time, the king of the universe, the king of the universe, bent down to some lowly shepherds who knew they needed help. And as they knelt before him in humility, he gave them this amazing gift. He said, you matter to me. You matter greatly to me. My saving grace has come for you too, for you also. And he invited them into an experience of intimacy with him and then sent them out on a mission of service for him that was profoundly significant. And now God wants to do the same with you and me. He wants to draw us to himself. He wants to fill us up with his presence and send us out as bearers of the good news of the life of the kingdom of God. Scriptures say that when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. And let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And then I love this part. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I hope you got that detail. It's an amazing detail. These people whose testimony wasn't admissible in court are chosen to become the first witnesses in the greatest case in history, the one through which your sin and my sin and the sin of the world would be tried and Christ would pay the penalty upon the cross and you and I would go free. They're the first witnesses in that great case. These lowly people become the first reporters of the greatest story ever covered of God's plan to throw, overthrow all of the bad governments wherever they may be around this world, overthrow them and replace them one day with his kingdom. These people are the first tellers of that story. So open your heart. Open your heart to the God who is with you right now. Stoop low enough to be able to see God's height and bring his grace and bring his truth and bring his hope and his news into every single field you go out to in the days to come. Because, friends, Christmas isn't truly Christmas without presence. Please pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we come before you with eyes and ears and hearts and minds open to your presence and available for what you want to do in us 
and what you want to do through us for the sake of those others we will meet. Make us recipients, reporters, and representatives of the good news of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. And all God's shepherds said, amen.